This morning, too, we're going to be in the book of Job by way of James. And let me just once again mention why we are there. Okay, hold on. My phone's doing some crazy things here. Those that are listening on the internet, good morning. Can you let us know if you've got uh, good sound? Uh, and then, uh, uh, Dan, there's. Uh, uh, need to remind you about. Sean is asking if we could make sure and bring him a couple of the Bible pens when we get back. That'd be great. Okay. Those that are listening on the internet, if you could let us know if you've got good quality sound there. Let me turn this on. Sound is good. Fantastic. Okay. If you look with me in the book of James, chapter number 5, just real, real briefly, again, because we, we, we've pointed this out for, what, four or five weeks now already. When you look at James, chapter 5, verse 11, I see verse 10, it says, Take my brethren the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of a tender mercy. Our gracious God and Father, we're grateful that we could spend some time again this morning in Your Word. We're grateful for the light, the wisdom, the understanding. We're grateful for the strength that it provides in our inner man. Not just as we read it, but as we make a choice to believe it and, and to rest in it and to live our lives based upon what your word says. So we're grateful for your goodness and your kindness to us. And it is in the Lord's name of the Lord Jesus Christ that we give you praise and honor. Amen. You know, it's important to remember that when you're studying the book of James, the book of James, uh, um, just real quick, the, the chart up here, you can see you've got time past, God dealing with Israel. Gentiles were down here, but now you've got the dispensation of grace. This is where we are in history. And then, of course, after the dispensation of grace is over with, you've got the resumption of the prophecy program. When the book of James was written, remember, there, there was no dispensation of grace. It hadn't come about yet. There's no, no Apostle Paul. The book of James was written early on. In, it was written in... in uh, basically sometime between Acts 2 through 7, very, very early, as were Hebrews through Revelation except Second Peter. James is writing, he says, to the twelve tribes scattered abroad. So which verses in the book of James are speaking specifically to and about you? Yeah, none of them. Not one single verse in the book of James is written specifically to and about you and me in the dispensation of grace. Now, I understand that, that we can, you, you learn from all the Bible. Yes, it's all for us, but it's not all to us. What difference does it make to know that? All the Bible's for us, but it's not all to us. What difference does it make to know that? Or does it matter? What's that? In, in what sense? What, Rich? It dispels confusion. Give me an example. You know what's off the share with others. Okay, you know you understand. You know what pertains to the present time in history where we live. The dispensation of grace. There are different rules. Different instructions. Different rules. Things you can eat. Things you're not supposed to eat. Things like that. So that's what makes a difference of when you approach the Bible to understand the fact that while all the Bible is for us, it's just not all to us. And it is not faith. It is not a walk of faith 
You've heard of the, the statement, the rhyme that says that um, every verse in the Bible is mine, every chapter verse in rhyme. We realize that's a completely apostate statement. That's not a statement of faith. It sounds great, but it isn't true. It's not true to say every verse in the Bible is directly to you and about you. Did, did any of you offer blood sacrifices this week? Shake your head no. Okay. Because <laughs> if you did, you probably ought not to. All right. There's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of verses in the Bible about offering blood sacrifices, none of which pertain to you. That kind of a thing. So at any rate, you want to remember that when you read in the book of James, James says he's writing to the twelve tribes scattered abroad. They're going through that. He's preparing them to go through the tribulation period, of which, by the way, you as members of the body of Christ are not going to go through the tribulation period. He points their attention when you're in James chapter number 5, Look at verse 10. He says this, Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. See how he points their attention back to the prophets. When he says, Take them as an example of suffering, affliction, and patience, what does that imply is happening to those in his audience? They're going through the same things. And so he turns their attention back to the Old Testament prophets. And in particular at verse 11, when he says, Behold, we count them happy which endure. You have heard of the patience. And then who does he mention by name there? Job. And that's why we're in the book of Job. Now, obviously, Job is a huge book. We're not going verse by verse through the whole book and everything. We're just trying to pick some highlights. When he says, you, you, have, uh, you have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord. What was the quote-unquote end of the Lord as identified in Job? Does anybody remember? What did he do? What's that? That's right. He turned their, Job's captivity. That's what he did. That tells you that the big picture in the book of Job is Job was under satanic captivity. And God is the one who turned his captivity and then blessed him twice as much afterwards. That is a, an amazing picture of the nation of Israel's really history, but in particular... In the tribulation period out there, their condition in that tribulation period where they are going to be in satanic captivity and it's going to take the Lord to turn their captivity, the Lord to rescue them out of that and to bless them twice as much and beyond that even in the kingdom. So go back with me then to the book of Job. Now that we, we mentioned that set up for three or four weeks already now. So we're just going through that kind of quickly. But go back with me to the book of Job. And where we are now, we're in Job chapter number 3. Job chapter number 3. We've already seen in in our overview so far in Job chapter number 1 how the Lord presents Job to Satan. And Satan has an objection. Does Job serve God for not? Does Job fear God for not? Remember that? And then God allows Satan... The, the, the leeway, as it were, to really destroy all that Job had, his livestock, even to his, his servants, and then even to his children. Remember that? And Scripture said that in all that, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Remember that? Chapter number 2 in Job, you see Satan comes again, and God presents Job to, to Satan and Satan says, skin for skin, all that a man has will he give for a skin. And so God gives Satan leeway, as it were, to smite Job, and, and, and Satan does. From, the head of his, from his head to his toes, 
just this painful boils, as it were. And so what we're looking at, and by the way, all through this, you'll remember that Job doesn't charge God foolishly. Everyone else is charging God foolishly. All right? Even his wife says that the answer is to curse God and die. You remember that? And Job says to her that, that she's speaking as the foolish woman speak and so forth. When you come to chapter 3 then in the book of Job, he has been at least seven days now in the situation. It's more than that, but at least seven days. And when you're in chapter number three, oh, I mean, his, his agony, his pain, his suffering has to the point where like these physical boils that he has all throughout his body from head to toe, now the emotion has just boiled over out of him and his great, deep lamentation and mourning and woe comes out here in detail in chapter number 3. And we already read uh, about, um, we already read down to verse 19. Um, I'm not going to go through all that again, but I do want to go back to verse 11. From verse 11 to 19, I want to emphasize some things again that we pointed out last week. So look with me to chapter 3, verse 11. When he says, why died I not from the womb? Why did I not give up the ghost when I came out of the belly? Why did the knees prevent me and why the breasts that I should suck? For now, in other words, if he would, instead of lived and lived this many years, if he would have died either in the womb or at birth, he says at verse 13, for now should I have lain still and been quiet. I should have slept. Then had I been at rest with kings and counselors of the earth which built desolate palaces for themselves or with princes that had gold who filled their houses with silver or as a hidden untimely birth I had not been as infants which never saw light. There, in other words, in death, there the wicked cease from troubling. There the weary be at rest. There the prisoners rest together. They hear not the voice of the oppressor. The small and the great are there. And the servant is free from his master. Now you can understand to a degree Job's his thinking, his, his reasoning, he is in excruciating discomfort, pain from head to toe, night and day. At night when he's trying to sleep, he can't get any sleep so that your body doesn't restore itself. During the day, he's wishing for the night that he can sleep. Even when he tries to lay down and take a nap during the day, he just, you, just, you can't roll on one side or the other because you've got these boils all over your body. There is no relief. Think about that. And he's going back and thinking about his life here and thinking about, man, is this, this isn't turning out like I thought it was going to turn out. What did we learn back in chapter number 1 about Job? Chapter 1, verse 1. What do we know about Job in chapter 1, verse 1? It verse says he's perfect and upright one that feareth God and escheweth evil. You see that? Look at verse 8 of chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 8. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? 
that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. That was God's evaluation of Job. This isn't just man's evaluation of Job. This is what God says about Job. You'll recall as well, when you look at chapter 1, verse 3, right at the end, in fact, let's read the whole verse. Verse 3 says, His substance also was 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 she-asses, and a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the East. That's what Scripture says about this man. Did he get his wealth by conniving, by manipulation, by unrighteousness? Absolutely not. You know, based upon what it says about Job, he's a perfect and an upright man, one that feared God and escheweth evil, that this man was a man of integrity, a man of honesty in all his business dealings, in his family dealings, in his relationship dealings, in his dealings with the servants and so forth. This man was a man of utmost integrity. So you can understand why, a little bit more, you can understand why he, he, he now from head to... Listen, Job didn't have the book of Job. Everybody understand that? Job didn't have the book of Job. Guess what else Job didn't have? Now, he didn't have the book of Genesis. Right? He didn't have... Job is the third son of Issachar. He went down into Egypt, but he left Egypt long before Israel ever became afflicted by the, by the apostate Pharaoh down there. This is years before Moses ever shows up on the scene and gets Israel out of Egypt. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, as it were. Job doesn't have the Bible. You and I have the tremendous asset and blessing and wonder of having the written Word of God, the whole Bible, Genesis through Revelation. In English, it's a King James Bible. The other English translations are wrong. Period. I know that makes people upset. So what? At any rate, Job didn't have the Bible. But, but he clearly had information about God. When God says about Job, go back to chapter number 1, go back to chapter number 1, verse 8. Here's what God says about this man. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. If Job didn't have the written word of God, how did Job come to those kinds of conclusions and awareness about things? How did he know that? What's that? What's that? Okay, information from his father, from his grandfather, his great-grandfather, and so forth. Really, all the way back to Noah, all the way back to Adam, as it were. Okay? But how else would Job, who didn't have the written Word of God... How else would he have come to an awareness of things such that he was perfect and upright, feared God, and eschewed evil? How else would he have come to that awareness? What's, it? What's that? Conscience given by God. Conscience given by God, number one. And number two, what? 
Creation. Creation. Go to Romans 1. This is exactly right. It's exactly right. Look over to Romans chapter number 1 quickly if you would. Job didn't have the written Word of God. Job didn't have the advantage of during his suffering of reading through the book of Job. Job genuinely didn't know why he was going through this affliction. He was a man that feared God, eschewed evil. And yet he's going through this great, great personal affliction and suffering. When you look at Romans chapter number 1, look at verse 19. Romans 1.19 says this, it says, Because that which may be known of God is manifest where? What's it say there? Notice, in them. In them. For God hath showed it unto them. Inside of every single descendant of Adam is built into the human soul. The concept, the idea of what we would think of morality, right and wrong. Fear God and eschew evil. Therefore, Job had the capacity built into him, as every man does, to be able to identify right and wrong. Eschew evil. Hate evil. Fear God. See that? But it goes on to say, look at verse 20. For the invisible things of Him, the Him would be God there, for the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are what? What are the next two words? Early seen. See that there? But wait a minute. How can you see invisible things? How, do you, how can you see things that you can't see with your eyes? Look at the next phrase. What's it say there? What's it say? It says... For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, what's this, being what? Understood. Understood by the things that are made. Creation is itself a witness. What is creation a witness of? A creator. What else does creation witness to about the Creator? Design. Design, what else? Order. Order, excellent. What else? Plan, Plan. purpose, good. What else? Life. Life, excellent. Good, what else? Beauty. Beauty. How about creativity? Strength. Uh, it's, it's strength, power, all, all this. It, see, Job came to understand based upon the inner testimony of right and wrong, what was evil, what's good, and therefore to eschew the evil, love the good, and so forth. And by looking at the physical creation about him, he knew there was a creator, and he knew he wasn't the creator. <laughs> okay? He knew there was a God, and he wasn't it. Okay? <laughs> Isn't that something? And he knew that there was a God, and Job was a created being, part of the creation, he knew he was going to be accountable to God one day. That's why he feared God. He respected God. He thought about God. He knew he was going to be accountable to God one day. It's, it's incredible when you think about all the... Listen, every single second of every single day, the creation is screaming information about the Creator. 
every single second of every single day. The creation is just shouting out wonderful things about the Creator. Isn't that something? Well, that, that's how Job came to the conclusions and the thoughts about God and, and, and about His accountability and about even how creation works and everything. When the Bible says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach unto any people. Job understood by looking and observing creation, he understood things like the law of sow, like the um, farming laws of sowing and reaping, the laws of cause and effect. Those, those scream out design, don't they? The, the, the laws of entropy and so forth. So, so one of the ways that Job understood how and how he became so successful with all his livestock, his sheep, his camel, his goats and everything, his servants, his family, his household, he observed creation. He observed how it worked and everything. And he saw in creation how it was functioning. He saw design. He saw purpose. He saw intention. And so he applied that understanding from observing creation in his life, in his business, with his family and so forth. And that's how it all prospered. And at the heart of it all, he feared God and eschewed evil. So when you're back in chapter number 3 now, Job is really... I mean, he's at a situation he does not understand why... Out of all that he's lived his life thus far, he doesn't know, okay, why is this happening? You're going to see, we won't look at it today, but you're going to see he has these three so-called friends. Okay, <laughs> look back at chapter number 2. Look back at chapter number 2, verse 11. It says this, Now when Job's three Friends, maybe you should put that friends in, in parentheses, right? <laughs> quote, quote, friends. Heard of all the evil that was come upon him. They came, everyone from his own place. Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the, the, the Shuhite, Zophar the, the Nemethite. For they had made an appointment together to come to mourn with him and to comfort him. And when they lifted up their eyes afar off and knew him not, they lifted up their voice and wept. And they rent everyone his mantle and sprinkled dust upon their heads toward heaven. So they sat down with him upon the ground seven days and seven nights, and none spake a word unto him, for they saw that his grief was very great. And that's almost an understatement there. See that? Job had already been experiencing this affliction and suffering. You're not told how many days. When these guys, so word clearly got to these guys already, and it probably took some time for word to travel. When these guys come and see him, they're just, they're shocked at the utter devastation that he's experiencing, the personal affliction and pain he's in. And so they sit with him for seven days, as it were, just in utter silence. Um, and what, as the story progresses here, you're going to see that each of these three guys give, gives him reasons why this is happening. We're not going to deal with that in detail today. We want to finish up chapter number three. So go back, if you would, to chapter three, verse 11. So we can, we, you can appreciate his, his question in verse 11 when he says, why died I not from the room, from the womb? Why did I not give up the ghost when I came out of the belly? Notice, as, as he looks upon his life, by the way, you're, you're not told how old Job is right here, but I want you to go to Job chapter 42. Notice something very interesting here. Go to Job chapter 42. You're not told how old Job is when all this begins. 
But you are told this in Job chapter 42, verse 16. Job 42.16 says this. Job 42.16 says this. After this lived Job how long? Let's sit there. 140 years and saw his sons and his sons' sons even four generations. So Job died being old and full of days and so forth. So you're not told how old he is at the beginning of this, but you are told that after this suffering and affliction, he lived another 140 years. Okay? He had more sons and daughters, and he lives to see his sons' sons even to the fourth generation. But By the way, this is all a picture of Israel, ultimately. This is a picture of Israel going through affliction, God turning their captivity, taking them into the kingdom, blessing them at least twice as much, and then they live forever in the kingdom. Isn't that, isn't that kind of cool? Go back to chapter number 1. So we don't know how old Job is. I'm sorry, chapter 3. We don't know how old Job is in chapter 1, 2, and 3 and through this whole ordeal. But he's old enough already here that he had, he, he, he had time enough to amass 3,000 sheep I'm sorry, 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 oxen, 500 uh, she-ashes. He, he, had, he, had he had three daughters and he had, was it seven sons? Uh, let's see here. So he went fast in. Three and seven, right? So, I mean, unless they were, you know, all twins and so forth. The point is, he was an, he was an adult by this point. And as he's thinking through his life here in the affliction and suffering, he's... He, these, these questions come up. Go back to chapter number 3. Look at, as he thinks about death, verse 13, there are some phrases here. 3.13 For now should I have, watch this, lain still. Next phrase. Been quiet. Slept. Been at rest. See the repeated Thinking through the past, the verse there. Everybody see that there? Jump down to verse 17. There the wicked, what? Cease from troubling. There the weary, be what? At rest. There the prisoners rest together. They hear not the voice of the oppressor. Verse 19, the second half, verse 19. The servant is free from his master. Understand this. In that tribulation period out there, the believing remnant of the nation of Israel is going to be under the same type of intense suffering and persecution as Job himself was. Now, they're going to have the advantage of having the Bible, of course, and reading the whole story. That James tells them, go back and read Job. But they are going to be wondering and asking the same types of questions. Think about the Lord Jesus Christ when He says in Matthew 24. Go to Matthew 24 real quick if you would. And then we're going to come right back to Job. Go to Matthew 24. Watch what the Lord Jesus Christ says about that time in history. Uh, Look down at... uh, (coughs) Uh, Matthew 24, we're going to start at verse 21. It says, For then for then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world, to this time, none or ever shall be. You think it's going to be pretty intense? Remember that? 
as hard and intense as you think times are right now, you know, it is even near what it's going to be like in the tribulation period. Now remember, the body of Christ is not going to go through the tribulation period, okay? When Job, those phrases that he's using, go back to chapter 3, the phrase is like, to lay still, to be at rest, to cease from troubling, from being troubled, to be at rest, the prisoners rest together. They hear no longer the voice of the oppressor. The servant is free from his master. All those are the things that the believing remnant in the tribulation period, that's what they're going to be looking for. They're going to be under such intense persecution and suffering that they're really going to be weighing out. Man, would it be better to die so as to escape the suffering rather than continue to live and ex- continue experiencing the suffering. You see that there? Isn't that something? Now, look at verse 20. Look at verse 20. This is, uh, so he goes on and says this. Wherefore, and these are the key questions in the book of Job that Job asks. Verse 20 And verse 23. These are the key questions. Wherefore is light given to him that is in misery and life unto the bitter in soul? And you want to understand something. That when he says, wherefore is light given and life, the the sense of light there is not like a light bulb. It is life. I want you to hold that verse and go to John chapter 1. Go to John chapter number 1. Look at John chapter 1 verse 4. You'll see a parallel here. John chapter 1 verse 4, he says this. Talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. So John 1 4 says, In Him, that's Christ, the Word, in Him was life, and the life was what? The light of men. You see how life and light are directly connected in that verse? Life and light. So when you go back to Job chapter 3, that's the sense in what Job is asking when he says in Job 3 verse 20, Wherefore is light? Life. He says, Wherefore is light given to him that is in misery? And life unto the bitter in soul. Can't you? You can really sense the utter, deep bitterness and misery that Job himself is experiencing. Now, what is his question? When he says, "Wherefore is light given?" To him that is in misery and life to the bitter in soul. Let me keep reading because the verse doesn't stop there. His, his, his thought doesn't stop there. He says, so the person who is in misery and in bitterness of soul, verse 21, which long for death, but it cometh not, and dig for it more than hid treasures, which rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they can find the grave. You see, verse 20, 21, and 22, that, that's a whole question there. 
What's he asking? What's his, what's he comparing? Yes, why am I here? What's the point? Yes. How long is this going to last? Good. What else? Was I just born to misery? And what? And how do you get out? And by the way, that's the next set of questions he asks. Okay? What what, uh, what Katie said is, and how does he get out? But that's going to, when we come back to verse 23, you'll see that that's what he's addressing there. Okay? But what is his thinking that he's going to get to that as well? Okay? What is his thinking based upon what he says in verse 21 and 22? Look at verse 21. Which was long for death, but it won't come. Digging for it more than he had treasure. He's valuing death more than silver and gold. It would rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they can find the grave. You see what's going on here? He is in such excruciating suffering and pain. It's reached to the bitterness of his soul. It's one thing to be in some kind of physical affliction and suffering of your body. And that hurts and it's painful day after day, week after week, month after month. And yet, you can, to a certain degree, tough it out. Right? Maybe take some painkillers, whatever. By the way, Job didn't look like they developed all the painkillers back there yet. Okay? Right? But it's one thing to just tough it out. This has gotten to Job's soul. His, quote, unquote, tough it out has done been toughed out. This has gotten to his soul now. The bitterness of soul. The misery that he's in. The, understand, the physical affects the emotional, which affects the soul. As a human being, we are spirit, soul, and body. We are connected. What happens in the physical body can reach to the soul. And by the way, that's why it's so important to get the Word of God in your soul so it can affect the body as it were and how we respond to things. But when his thinking is he's in such bitterness of soul, why can't he just die? What's the purpose of continuing another day in this bitterness of soul? That's right. Now question. How is... How is this issue of verse 20-21-22, how is this framed in, in our lifetimes? What's that? Very similar. Yeah. The doctrine of suffering. How is this framed in the secular world, in, in, in not just modern times, because obviously all of history has dealt with this, but how is it framed? It's framed against the backdrop and background of assisted suicide and those types of things. That someone is in so much pain, so much suffering, they've been to all the doctors, the doctors, there's nothing else they can do, they've told them that, they're just going to have to physically suffer the rest of their life. So therefore the question comes up, why not just assist them with death? 
What's that? Or even unassisted? Yes, but that's 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 what how it's framed, and so forth. I I, I can go ahead. Does Job look at death as a cessation, an end, or does he know that this can be? Uh, yeah, okay, that's a, the question is: Does Job look at death? as a, a total cessation and end of everything or does he know that there's resurrection go to chapter 19 and we're going to come back here momentarily go to chapter number 19 look what he says chapter number 19 verse 25 chapter 19 verse 25 it says this chapter 19 verse 25 you want to have these verses marked and underlined please do that for I know that my Redeemer liveth and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I what? See God. What does Job believe in? Clearly. Bodily, physical bodily resurrection in a brand new body. So his thinking about death is not that he thinks death is the cessation of the soul. Neither is his thinking about death the idea of soul sleep. You'll hear people, they, they, they teach that doctrine sometimes. That when you die, you just kind of sleep and you're unaware of anything. Which, that isn't true at all. Okay, what the Lord Jesus Christ said to the thief on the cross, He says, uh, saying to the, today you'll be with me in paradise. Well, that, that demands that the guy must have been aware of it then. Otherwise, it's, the same wouldn't have been any comfort to the man. All right? At any rate, so it's true that Job believed in resurrection, but he, he, his body is in such grief and pain, physical affliction and suffering, it has reached to his soul, so he's looking at death as... Look again, are you back to chapter number 3? Back to chapter number 3. Look at verse 17. There the wicked, watch, cease from troubling the weary be at rest the prisoner rest the prisoners rest together they hear not the voice of the oppressor towards the end of verse 19 the servant is free from that, that's how he's looking at death he's, this is the only possible solution to this depth of misery and suffering that he's experiencing and again the way it's framed in the modern not, well not just the modern world but the whole debate about if someone is in in excruciating pain and suffering and there's no way out, then then either they commit suicide or you assist them with. So, Henry, go ahead. Yeah. Um, well, in today's modern society, Job would be a prime candidate for euthanasia. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. They say, "Yep, let's help this guy find death." Because yes. our, our society doesn't see value in suffering. Yes. Yeah. And listen, the only source, the only place where you can ever see value in suffering is in the Word of God. And in particular, the Word of God rightly divided. What God says about suffering and affliction now. God doesn't send the suffering. God is not breaking people's legs. God is not causing car crashes or plane crashes. God is not doing that. When you get sick, God didn't give you that disease. All of that comes from Adam, the fall. Not because God is trying to chastise you, chastise you. You're not under the law. You're under grace. Israel was under the law. Under the law, God did chastise them because that's the nature of the law. 
You're under grace. God deals with the believer today on the basis of who we are in Christ. And he is not chastening Christ. Listen, some of this stuff will revolutionize, totally revolutionize your thinking about what you think God is and is not doing. Well, there's something else to appreciate. I, I read a I read real interesting kind of a side note on, on this whole thing about death. Look back at verse 20. And I'm racing the clock here as always. Look at verse 20. Wherefore is light given to him that is in misery and life unto the bitter in soul. See the idea of misery and bitter in soul? The thinking is that death would be the release. Everybody get that? Everybody see that? If, if death will release me from the misery, the bitterness, there I can find rest. And what this one article said, very interesting, very insightful. He said, you know, for people that don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, for people that have never trusted the blood of Christ shed at Calvary for, to be the payment for their sins, they, their thinking is that the maximum extent of suffering that someone could ever experience is in this life. The torture, the pain, whatever it might be, self-inflicted or others inflicted upon them, or the ravages of some disease that eats your body away, they think that this life is the max that all it can ever be. And in this article, he went on to say that what they don't realize, if you die without the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you're going to spend an eternity in the misery and the suffering and the pain of being punished justly for all your personal sins forever. 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 Man, that's a sobering thought, don't you think? To realize that, that to the unsaved world out there, they think death is... The end of it all. Death is the release. Oh, friends, it is not at all for the unsaved. This life is the best it will ever be. For the saved, this life is the worst it will ever be. Well, you think about a passage like that. Oh, <laughs> To wish for death. The book of Revelation talks about in that tribulation period, they're going to be looking for death. They're not going to be able to find it, by the way. But death isn't the answer. When you look very quickly at verse, look at verse 23. He says, verse 23 now, Why is light given to a man, watch this, whose way is hid? Whose way is hid? What, what does that mean? If you're... He's looking for a way out. How do I get out of this thing? And, and I can't find the answer. 
The, the way is hid. I, I've tried. Is, is this the answer? Is this why this is happening? Is it everywhere he looks? He, the way is hid. He cannot find the answer. How to get out? He, he continues to live, and as long as he continues to live, he continues to suffer, and the suffering keeps getting more intense. And he's looking for the. Listen, Job didn't have Romans eight eighteen. Who knows Romans eight eighteen? For I reckon what. Say it together. Everybody out loud together, right? For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed. Job didn't have that verse. He didn't have Romans chapter 8 to read. He didn't have any of that. And as he's in the midst of affliction and suffering, he says, he says, why is light given? Why do I continue to live another day, another day, another day? And I, I can't, my way is in. I, I can't get out of this. And he says, whom God hath what? Hedged in. You know, in chapter number one, it talks about God put a hedge about him. That's a good hedge. This one's not so much. Job is looking for, earnestly trying to find his way out of this, some relief, some remedy, as it were. And the situation, the circumstances, makes it appear as though God is the one who has hedged him in, like in a prison, a cage as it were, locked, threw away the key and the combination lock as it were. And so is life going to continue to be given? Is he going to live the rest of his life now in this pain and misery and suffering? When he says, For my sign cometh before I eat, my roarings are poured out like the waters. For the thing which I greatly feared has come upon me. And that which I was afraid of is come unto me. He says, I was not in safety. Neither had I rest. Neither was I quiet. Yet trouble came. Verse 26 when he says, I was not in safety. Neither had I rest. He's not like the guy that the Lord Jesus Christ spoke about in his ministry, this, this uh, wealthy landowner that, that his, had abundance of crops. And so what he did, he tore down the barns and built bigger barns so they could store all the stuff in the barns. And once it was all done, he said, oh, now my soul can take rest. I can eat, sleep, and marry, be merry. Kind of a concept. That wasn't Job. Job was a diligent, faithful man who eschewed God who loved God, feared God, and eschewed evil. He was a righteous man. He was not boasting in his stuff. He was not looking for his stuff to be his Savior. We found that out from chapter number 1, remember? So that's why he says, I, that, I wasn't finding my safety in all my stuff. And he says at verse, 20, verse 25, For the thing which I greatly feared has come upon me. That's it. Was Job a man that lived in fear? See? So you know the sense of verse 25 when he says, For the thing which I greatly fear has come upon me. That doesn't mean Job since a child every day lived in fear. That, that's not the concept. For the thing which I greatly feared has come upon me. And that which I was afraid of has come upon me. What does it appear, as Job looks at his situation, what does it look like to him? What's it look like to him? That's it right there. What is it, Rich? It looks like the God that he served, the God that he feared, 
the God of this marvelous, beautiful creation, the God who had been blessing him all his life, as it were, God has gone silent to his cries. God has turned his eyes away. It's the thing that great, I greatly fear. That's what's come upon me. It looks like God has completely abandoned me. It is like Psalms 22. The Lord Jesus Christ at the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's what's happening right there. Now understand, in that tribulation period out there, this chapter, Job 3, is going to be a critical chapter for the believing remnant to think through, to read through, to meditate upon. They're going to have the benefit of the book of Job. The fundamental answer to the questions, go back to verse 20. Wherefore is light given to him? See, that's the question. Verse 23. Why is light given to a man whose way is hid? And so forth. Those are questions, right? The fundamental answers to those questions, Job's three friends come along and try to tell him what's going on. None of which is right. And it's not until God comes along and enters into the picture as it were, beginning at chapter 38 in Job, He answers Job's questions here by asking Job a whole series of questions. It's incredible when we get, we're, we're going to get there. Probably not next week, but if not next week, then the following week. It's going to be, you've got to be here for the studies. When we get to Job chapter number 38, friends, you have to be here. He asks Job, God confronts Job and asks Job a series of questions. And in those questions are the answers to these questions right here. That's why the book of Job is going to be so critical, so important for the believing remnant in that tribulation period to realize that though it looks like God has abandoned us, the Word of God makes it very clear that God knows the intimate details of every single thing that's happening, every single person that's happening to. And while God is not the one who is, is, is causing all these issues, God has a purpose in the creation, even though the creation looks like, since everything keeps dying, even though the creation looks like the end of it, everything is death, God comes along and demonstrates, comes along and demonstrates to Job that no, the purpose of everything isn't death, it's life. I've got a purpose, I've got a reason. And Job, you have to trust me on this. You'll find later on in the book of Job, Job himself says, Though he slay me, what does he say? Yeah. Yet will I trust him. Key book for the Bolivian women in the tribulation period. Our gracious God and Father, we thank you. We could take a little bit of time to look at uh, 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 this chapter in Job here and to gain insight and wisdom from your word and to truly appreciate, like Job says, that he said, though, though you slay him, yet he would trust you, that, that really we can and need to do the same thing just to trust your word just to rest in who you are in your goodness your kindness your mercy to us through and by and because of and for and on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ in his name we give you praise and honor Amen Amen.